I'm Steven. And I'm Jake. Welcome to Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, where we talk to employees at tech companies that are in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS Graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to annual revenues in the 30 to 50 million range, but can't get to the next level, which is pretty impressive outside of Silicon Valley, but frowned upon here. We interview folks in various roles about their experience working at companies like this. We're looking to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. Today, we will speak with Priya, who is a director at a company that we will call Chess. Chess develops software to automate the hiring process. With a valuation of over $1 billion, this unicorn has certainly escaped from the SaaS graveyard, but Priya found it had some of the same issues that we've heard before on our podcast. She'll tell us about an eye-opening experience on her first day there. Jake, have you had anything unusual happen to you on your first day of a new job? Well, one of my, I don't know if it was so unusual, but really memorable experience for me, uh, first day in a new job, uh, is when I was first shown to my desk in a new office. So this was um, my first job in tech at a dot-com that I was very excited to work at. And they had an office in downtown San Francisco. There was a former uh, bank building, and it had a lot of interesting, like nooks and crannies. And some people had these, wound up having these large offices or offices with nice corner windows. And so the HR person is leading me around the office, and I'm sort of looking around, wondering, oh, where am I going to get a sit? And I see out of the corner of my eye this area where there are a bunch of just like uh, planks for desks that are very tightly bunched together. It sort of looked like a call center. Uh, and then the HR person starts to lead me there, and I'm put in the middle of this area. And it was just a, a real letdown because I thought, oh, I'm working at this cool tech company. And then I felt like I was in the, the, the worst corner of the office. Um, and the desks were really crammed together, and I'm kind of a tall guy. And I felt like every day when I walked to my desk, I'd bump into everybody else's computer cords. Uh, and then I, I was at that company for a while, and after a year, we moved to a new office. And I had my own cube. And I just remember feeling like, oh, it's so luxurious. I have my own cube. I was so excited. Um, so I, that, that really stuck with me. As uh, I really remember that feeling of being let down, or like that excitement of the first day of job, and that let down of seeing where I'm going to be sitting uh, every day. Um, how, how about you? Have you had any memorable first days? Yeah. Well, actually, at the place I, I'm going to tell the story about, we actually did have planks on desks with kind of like the construction things. I just remembered that right now. Uh, and that w- that wasn't the complaint. I was excited. That's my first kind of tech job that I had. And it was actually happening in my second week there. And we had just went on our first team launch, like me, my manager, and the other kind of full-time employee on the product team. And then we came back, you know, I was a little bit nervous as an intern. Like, I didn't know, like, am I doing a good job? I haven't really gotten much feedback yet. And my manager gave me some work to do on some persona stuff or kind of evaluate, review some things. And I was doing that. And then eventually, at one point, I saw the corner of my eye, my manager and HR went into the, another room. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh, no, that she hates me. Like, this isn't going well. They want to fire me. And I was just kind of getting a little bit nervous there. And then I saw the CEO who sat behind me. He got up and he went in that room, too. And I was like, oh, no, they're like thinking about like what they're going to do with me. And they have all this regret about it. And then my manager came back from the room and she put her laptop down. And I said, oh, hey, uh. I think I'm done reviewing this thing. Like, uh, what, what should I do next? And she said, you know what, Steven, just, just sit there for a bit, uh, and, and keep working on it. And then she got up and left. And then eventually the HR lady came and got me and let me know that they had just let my manager go. Um, <laughs> uh, which, you know, was a weird experience. I did not expect that to happen. You know, I was 
I hate to say this, I was relieved it wasn't me. <laughs> um, I still felt bad about the whole thing. And I think the kind of cherry on top is that uh, this manager told us all to buy tickets to this conference that was happening in town like the next week. And so I preemptively went and I, and I bought the tickets. And I even responded to the email thread saying, yeah, I bought my tickets. I'll see you all there. And then she was like, go later that day. Uh, so I did see her again at the conference, but my two other colleagues who she invited were not there, uh, probably because they had a hunch this was going to happen beforehand. So the, everyone else knew, but just you being the newbie, you were unaware yeah, and I, I think it's probably best practice not to tell the intern when that thing goes down, because yeah. But it was fun. It was it was a great summer. I had a good time there. But that was a really interesting story that I keep thinking back on. That is a great story. Let's see if Priya can top that. Priya, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So before we do a deep dive into your time at Chess, can you first tell us what you were doing before you started working there? Sure. So before Chess, I was at a Series D tech company for almost five years. I kind of joined that company as the first product manager and over the course of those years grew out uh, the product team as well as shipped a bunch of product. Uh, So I was kind of ready for my next challenge uh, after being there for, for quite a long time. And it's actually where I worked with both of you. So uh, glad that we uh, could work together for a little bit. Definitely. Um, so you're you're starting. You're you're tired of Stephen and I. You want to you want to get away from us. And so you you start to to look around. What were you? What were the types of things you were looking for? Yeah. So that's a good question. So I will say that at the time I was. I was looking for this job. I was on maternity leave, so I had some time, but it wasn't great focus time with a lot of clarity. Uh, But I was looking for a company that was still a startup, uh, a company that was a little bit more mature than than the startup that I was at currently, somewhere where I would be able to manage a pretty large team, help grow the company in maybe a new space, either with a second product or in a new geography. Uh, So I was excited to kind of uh, manage a product and build a product at scale rather than just for a handful of customers. So I was looking for a company that was larger than the prior company, one that was uh, had a really good uh, market traction so far and was growing quickly. And then how did you first hear about Chess? So I first, first heard about it uh, because a friend of mine from a prior company was running product marketing for Chess. And she had just kind of started when I was uh, looking so I connected with her uh, to understand why why she chose the company and, and what her initial thoughts were. And what did she say about it? So she was very new when, when I was starting the interview process. She was just in her first month. So she had pretty positive things to say about it so far. Uh, the one thing she did say was she was a little bit skeptical about the founding team, which now in retrospect for both of us uh, was probably a red flag um, that I should have probably paid attention to a little bit more. 
but at the time she was very new, so she didn't have a definitive feeling one way or another um, about about the founders. Got it. And so then you, you you're going through the interview process and you're meeting you know the rest of the team. Uh, what were the things? What were your sort of first impressions of those folks and what you were hearing? So I I met several folks on the team. The impressions of the people that I met on the product management side, so the folks that were would be on my team, was really positive. The people that I met with were were really strong. They were uh, they were insightful. Uh, they were really passionate about the company's mission because chess was trying to actually do some good in the world. And I know that a lot of tech companies have a do-gooder mission, but but theirs was uh, one that had tangible impact. And people seemed to be really excited about that. So um, that was kind of my impression was that I was struck by how smart and talented the team seemed to be, as well as how excited they were about the, the mission of the company. And were these all people who would be reporting to you or peers or a combination? It was a combination. So there were uh, folks that were on the product side that would report to me as well as people on the engineering side that were be, were going to be my peers. Now, just out of curiosity, because um, you know, this is, I know from knowing you personally, this was going to be the first time that you were going to inherit a team of, of people that would work, work with you as opposed to growing a team. And did you have any trepidation about that? Oh, definitely. Uh, I was very worried about that. Uh, and, you know, I didn't meet everyone on the team. And I actually, even before I started, there were changes made on who is going to report to me. But, you know, the way that I thought about it was I would always have the flexibility to understand who the strong members of the team were, who the weaker ones were, and, you know, make changes where, where I saw fit. So I wasn't that worried about it, but certainly it was something that did occur to me. Got it. And I, so I assume you, during this process, you're also meeting your hiring manager. And what were your thoughts of them? This is where I sh- probably should have trusted my gut. Uh, my hiring manager was very weak. He was not very well-spoken. He was not very clear. But this is where I probably should have thought twice about the importance of, of a manager, especially when it comes to a smaller startup where you don't have any other teams to go to if something doesn't work out, um, where I should have trusted my gut because I wasn't very impressed by him. And so that's one you know red flag you have at the time. Were you interviewing any other companies at the time or was it just with Chess? I was interviewing another company that was of similar size. Uh, they were uh, they sold products to small and medium businesses, which is kind of the reason why I chose Chess over this other company, even though even though I got offers from both, uh, was because I have more enterprise experience and I wanted to flex that muscle and I enjoy the sales process and and navigating that which is why i i chose chess over this other company so you you know you mentioned the a little bit of a red flag around the your hiring manager were there any other things that gave you pause interviewed with the founder one of the founders so there were two founders 
but I did not get to interview the CEO. I got to interview the CTO mm-hmm. and I, that should have given me pause because I should have been able to interview with the CEO at, at such a small company, especially because I was coming in at a director level role. Um, and so the, I, that should have given me more pause than it did because sometimes when you interview the CTO, you know, the, the questions are very different. The personality is very different than, than C, CEO. And, you know, later on when I did meet the CEO, I realized a lot of the issues with the culture was coming from, from him. And so I wish I would have pushed harder to, to meet with the CEO because I would have known then and there that it probably wasn't the right fit. Got it. But the, the, the meeting with the CTO, that was fine. Nothing, no flags from that. It was fine. I, I think he was similar to a CTO I've worked with in the past where he was very technical, definitely not a leader, and they were bringing in a different leader to actually run engineering. Got it. Like they have like a, a sort of a, a VP of engineering who do more the day to day running the organization. Exactly. So my interview with him was with with a CTO was like a little bit more superficial and um, not as meaty as 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 I would have liked. Other than the not meeting a CEO, is there anything else that you wish you had asked or or? Any information you wish you'd been given uh, during that interview process that would have maybe changed your mind? I wish I would have pushed more to meet with more of the team that that would uh, that would have been reporting to me rather than just the peers because I I think I only met one or two people that ended up reporting to me um, because sometimes when you get perspective of people on the team and boots on the ground is very different than uh, meeting with management. Just out of curiosity, do you remember how many different people you met with in the interview process? I think I met with seven or eight. Okay, because yeah, I've, I've found that that sometimes you meet with so many people, and it's like, how many more can you meet with? Exactly. Exactly. You just want to get it over with. <laughs> exactly. Do you feel like, so once you've accepted, are you pretty excited to work there, or is it more just like, oh, I'm ready for something new, let's give this a try? So I was... I think more excited about a being back at work after leave and then be just working and trying something new. And they were one of those tech companies that had way too much money and had a ridiculous office, which was like amazing and free food and free lunch. And so that was always like kind of just nice and cool to like come to and to a nice office every day. Uh, so that was like kind of part of the excitement. And then also just like meeting new people and, and getting to know people, I think was was exciting for me. The actual company and the opportunity was cool because the role was to build out chess into a brand new space. Um, and so I was excited about being able to shape the strategy there. Got it. Um, and so then, you, you know, day one, you step into this shiny new office and what were your impressions of your, of your, of your colleagues as you're meeting more and more folks? So it was really funny because on my first day, my team, uh, set up a, a lunch for me. Like we just went to down and, and ate together. Um, and I had about seven people, seven PMs on my team. And that was when I knew that. I had made a mistake because they were all miserable. 
and they were all very unhappy about their their jobs and they didn't want to work there and it was just so surprising and I appreciated their candor with me because I was new and it was my first day but they hated working there and I was like oh god what did I get myself into (laughs) so three hours three hours and you know you made a mistake yep (laughs) How, how do they even bring that up? Is it like you went and got your food and then they're like, look, uh, sorry, I hate working here, but welcome to the team. I think it was more like I was just like, hey, so can you get me up to speed about what everyone does and some of the challenges that you face? Because, you know, I was channeling my in uh, my uh, Stephen. And I was like, tell me about what keeps you up at night and tell me about what uh, <laughs> what uh, challenges you face. And they kind of just laid it all out on the table. Whew. Yeah, I would think, you know, anytime I've had a new boss come in, the first, you know, week or so, I'm trying to sugarcoat things and make it seem like, you know, I'm just more concerned about making it seem that I'm doing a good job. I wouldn't have thought I'd be so bold as to say, oh, I'm miserable on day one in front of six of my other colleagues. I, you know what was funny, but people are just so worn down by the environment that they were in that they're just over it. And so when they're, was they saying they're they're miserable? What were what were they miserable about? So to give you a little bit of history of chess, is they became successful because they got a very big customer very very early on in their in their company's history. So when I say very, very early on, I think they got a big customer the first six months of them starting this company. And so they built a product for one customer. And over the course of two to three years, they were able to get more customers that were in that space. And so the way that they managed product, and I say it's product because of quote unquote product, was that it was customer driven, right? They just listened to whatever customer, the first customer wanted, and they delivered it. And then once they got customer two, three, four, five, all the requirements were very similar to customer number one. The challenge was I was leading a team that was trying to get into a new space, And so all good product managers know that when you're trying to get into a new space, one of the critical things that you do first is customer discovery to understand where your company and where your product can add value in that space. But unfortunately, and this was one of the things I did not know before I started and took over this area of the product, is that they had already signed a huge customer that was in that space and made customer commitments to them, sales commitments to them. And the type of commitments that they made were two years worth of roadmap. And so the poor product managers on my team had to deliver something yesterday that was for one customer, essentially. And they were pretty much developing custom software, like a services company. And so because the people on my team were actually good product managers, they were miserable having to work in this type of environment because they had no say into where their product was going. And this was all news to you that this contract existed? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I had known again that this contract had existed, I would not have taken this job because there was nothing to to figure out because they were already on the hook with for this customer to to deliver this product. And the way that chess worked, their business model was not a SaaS business model. So the idea was it was transaction based and it was based on its HR uh service for hiring is transaction based. And so they would not get paid until we actually had transactions from the customer. So essentially, we were building product that was going to take us by my calculations a year and a half to two years, which would make zero revenue uh, until we were able to deliver it for the customer. And then even once it went live, since it's not SaaS-based, it's just on a transaction base, the the company could have even still backed out of using it, right? Correct. Was the was the hypothetical or the customer who was signed on, was it as big as that kind of initial customer from that six-month period that would really justify doing it? Or was it kind of like selling your soul for like no good reason, uh, it was a, would you say? It was a big enough customer. The challenge was is... The customer's uh, business spanned so many different verticals that uh, you had to build the whole thing in order to unlock uh, the entire revenue that would come out of that customer. And so instead of being smart and trying to focus in one or two areas where chess would be able to differentiate their product, they decided to boil the ocean, sign this huge customer that spanned so many different verticals and have to build all of it in order to meet this customer's needs. So the way that the the sales process went, as well as the product commitments that were made was extremely immature from what I saw, because it clearly showed a company that was not ready to be a product company or did not understand how to be a product company, but is, is instead a services company at the end of the day. Now, so again, we're going back to lunch day one. And, you know, and you're, everyone's airing all this, you know, these problems. Were they looking to you to fix them? Or was it just more like, hey, this is what you've got yourself into? Sorry about that. So I think they were looking to me to help fix them. I think they understood that I alone would not be able to fix all these problems. But I think they were hopeful that I could help make them better. And, you know, so you, you finish lunch, you get back to your desk. What are you feeling at that time? Uh, a bit of horror and dread. <laughs> I didn't know what I got myself into, but I was still feeling, you know, somewhat optimistic that I would be able to to make some change because I hadn't yet met the entire leadership team. Yeah, what was your, you know, you think that maybe there's a chance I can help help out the situation how did you like what were sort of your next steps to go about making you know improving things so i you know had to kind of ramp up i met everyone kind of on the team the extended team including like the sales people the customer success people uh to really dig in and understand what the dynamics were and what the challenges were i think that's where i realized 
pretty quickly that there was a single threaded point of failure for this company. And it was at the founder and CEO, because what I found was that ultimately every decision was made by him and it was pushed top down. And so as you can imagine, for a product team, that's never a good situation to be in because essentially the CEO is making all the decisions. And so once I kind of realized that, that's when I was very, very worried about my time at this company because the CEO also was not a reasonable person and uh, definitely, you know, had one of those complexes of thinking he was uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon and not, you know, the CEO of this, of Chess, a Series D company. And when did you, how long in your tenure there did you first meet him one-on-one? I met him the second week that I was, uh, that I was at Chess and uh, I kind of instantly knew that our personalities would not click. And, you know, one thing that, you know, and in situations I felt were like, oh, if I have some frustrations with leadership, I'll often talk to my manager about it and sort of see like, oh, what's the strategy for, for getting around this? Did you have those types of conversations with your manager? So the awkward thing was my first month at Chess, my manager was on paternity leave. Um, but even then, my manager was really weak. As I told you, there were some red flags in the interview process. And what I realized, and and this was kind of the fundamental issue with this, the whole dynamic with the CEO and, and my manager, who was head of product, was that the CEO surrounded himself with yes men. So people that are just going to say, yes, sir, I will do whatever you want. And my manager was like that. And so for me, it was very, very difficult to push back against anything that the CEO wanted to do or, or you know, even have a conversation with my manager that was something that was different than what the CEO's thoughts or vision was because he would not push back against the CEO and he would just, you know, fold under pressure. So the worst thing, I think, with the relationship with my manager was that he would say all of the right things to me, but then when it came to him being in a room with the CEO, he caved and he did not back his team up. And I think when you have someone like that, that is you know, representing your, your organization at the leadership level, it is very, very difficult to to do the right things. So you got the, this manager who's going to back down every time he talks to the CEO, the CEO is kind of directing a lot of things and you already have like a year and a half, two years of kind of all the work that you need to do laid out for you. What are you spending the majority of your workday on then? I spent a majority of my workday in meetings. So in meetings with my team to figure out what they were working on and why in meetings with the customer to understand what their asks were, because this was a new space for me, but also I was inheriting this huge backlog of, of items. So I needed to understand what those were. And then also simultaneously advocating for other customers to talk to, to make sure what we were building was actually applicable to, to others. So I spend most of my days in meetings, 
trying to dig up why we were doing these things and trying to determine if any of this work was repeatable. Were you able to actually get something out the door or what were you most professionally proud of uh, uh, during your time at Chess from what you're able to do? So I would say I got very little done at Chess. I was only there for (laughs) three months. Um, But what I was most proud of at my time at Chess was my ability to kind of inherit a team, but win their trust, even though they were very uh, mistrustful of me at the beginning because they hadn't had a manager at Chess that was any good. And so what I'm most proud of is building that trust in so much so that, you know, I've even hired someone that that I worked with at, at Chess, even though it was a short amount of time, and still keep in touch with, with some of those people that were on my team. So even though I didn't really get anything done because I was there in such a short amount of time and it was such a mess, um, I'm most proud of, of those relationships that I built. It sounds like there's been a lot of, you know, ups and downs, a lot of big personalities, and a uh, and a really crazy first day lunch. What was your most memorable day at, at this company at chess? Is it supposed to be good oh, or bad? <laughs> yeah, we want, let's hear, let's first hear the, the, let's start with the bad news and then we'll end with the good okay. news. So let's hear the most, the worst, worst day first. So the most memorable moment at chess was, when I was in a meeting with the e-staff uh, with one of my product managers who was uh, presenting a product review of you know, a product that he had launched late last year and then had to pivot because the data showed that it wasn't the right thing to do. And I literally saw him apologize for having shipped that product, which was like so gut-wrenching because it was just such a culture of not being able to fail or not being able to try things. And it was just so gut-wrenching because he was apologizing to the CEO and the e-staff. It was horrible. I've never seen something like that. What did the e-staff, did the e-staff accept the apology or did they? Well, it was mainly the CEO um, because apparently like he mandated that kind of behavior in the past. Like you had to apologize for your actions. Um, But it was, it was horrifying and it was just really uncomfortable to watch. And then they just kind of excused it with some platitudes, but it was just really, really. (laughs) What was the flip side? What was the best day uh, at chess? We had some fun events pre-COVID. So we had a Black History Month happy hour with really great drinks like mint juleps. So that was fun. I don't think that out was a bad day. I told you they spent a lot of money on, on food. <laughs> what, about, what about swag? Was there any really good swag from there? Um, not really. It was a standard swag. But I did get swag when I was interviewing, which I thought was different. Ooh. What was it? They gave me like a t-shirt and some mints and a water bottle. It wasn't bad. That's how they get you. <laughs> well, I'm only two offers, but one of them gave me mints and the other one didn't. So. Exactly. 
So you mentioned before that this was not a SaaS company by any means. It was very transactional based. And of course, we've, we've gone through a big kind of upheaval recently with, with COVID and a lot of the economy kind of shaking out with some really big winners and some really big losers. How did that play out for chess? Yeah. So as I mentioned, chess was very dependent on these transactions and that's how we made revenue. And, you know, they had kind of foreseen how risky this was because chess was certainly exposed to any changes in the economy just because of the nature of its business. And they were trying to pivot to a SaaS business, but it was difficult because the competitors in this space did not have any kind of SaaS business. It was all transactional. And so it was really difficult to justify, you know, charging a monthly uh, subscription price to something where if you don't use it, you don't really need it, right? Um, and so they were trying to figure it out. They were trying to, you know, market themselves as a platform. And as the transition was happening, COVID hit, um, which really impacted the business because both of the largest customers of Chess uh, almost cut their number of transactions by, you know, 75%. Uh, so the good news and the saving grace for Chess is that other parts of the business actually grew due to COVID. And that's what kind of kept Chess going. But the whole thing was just so risky from a business standpoint because they weren't able to, uh, they weren't able to uh, create and generate these transactions because the customers weren't hiring and the chess's service was directly tied to hiring. And so even though the team kind of had, we had these weekly all hands where they would assure everyone that layoffs were the last resort and they promised not to do anything drastic. Actually, after I left, they, they laid off a significant part, part of the company. So um, they were certainly impacted by COVID. They continue to be impacted by COVID. And it's going to seriously hurt and affect their their valuation because they were they were valued at a two billion dollar company. They were a double unicorn. So um, you know, there's obviously with COVID, the business started to take a hit. But even before that, day one, three three hours in at first lunch, you start having concerns about uh, chess. When did you start to seriously consider? Oh, I I'm actually going to try and leave. I think I would have tried harder to maybe stay for longer because I'm not a person that kind of just gives up. But there were there were two things at play. The first was COVID, where, you know, I kind of explained that how chess was just so exposed to to economic uh, ups and downs that I wasn't secure about the business. And I didn't believe that the business would do well and weather the storm effectively. And so that was kind of my, my biggest concern. And then the second was I got, you know, a couple of opportunities that, uh, that were too good to pass up. And so kind of the combination of those two plus, oh, 
not a good culture kind of gave me the confidence that it was it was the right time to leave. And um, though it kind of felt like it was giving up, when I actually told people at Chess that I was leaving, they were really proud of me for bailing out as quickly as I did when they knew it wasn't the right fit. <laughs> now you say that opportunities came up were these things that you had actively pursued or did just like things that sort of fell in your lap? So I wouldn't say fell in my lap because that, that implies that I didn't try at all. But um, one uh, opportunity that I left to actually pursue was through a former manager uh, recruiting me to to come work with him at, at a larger company. So that was hard to pass up. And I also simultaneously actively pursued another opportunity that I, that I saw through, um, you know, a, fr- a friend's company was was hiring. So I, I I pursued those both in parallel, mostly just to compare and contrast um, how those processes went. You you chose one of them, the one from your uh, former manager. And so then when you told people, you said that a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, that they were proud of you. Were there any people who tried to convince you to stay? The only person that tried to convince me to stay was my manager. And that was even kind of a half-hearted attempt because as as I kind of alluded to before, he was not good. He had very low EQ and was just not a very well-spoken person that I would feel like would be capable of convincing me of anything, let alone like staying at chess, which was not a good experience. You know, one thing about uh, going back to the sort of the COVID situation, you know, a big change from COVID in addition to impacting the business is that the job had to become completely remote. Do you mm-hmm. think if there had been an economic downturn, but you were sort of in the office, would that have changed sort of your reaction to the situation? You know, it might have. I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because I am a person that gets a lot out of social relationships and I like seeing people. So I thought about it and I think maybe it would have been a little bit more painful to to leave a company if I had had those, you know, in-person interactions every day. But it's it's really hard to say, right? Because maybe the situation would have been a little bit worse if I had to, you know, be around the the manager that I had or the CEO more than I had to remotely. And so it, it's really hard to say, but um, I, either way, I'm glad that this happened and I, and I made the right decision. Right. At the very least, you avoided those awkward, um, the day when someone announces they're leaving, I have to take everyone to like a smaller conference room and say, hey, by the way, I'm leaving. So you avoided all that. Exactly. And I avoided all of that with both of these jobs that I uh, that I left. <laughs> um, so I think you know we always we always end with the, with the same question, and that is if you could go back into a time machine, all the way back to February of this year, uh, and you know you're you have those two offers, um, and you want to taking uh, the one at chess, would you have still done it knowing what you know now? So it's really hard to say because I feel like the role that I have now, the timing worked out so that I was able to have this role, um, you know, in the time frame that that I did. If I had 
chosen to go to another company that had a better outcome, meaning like better managers, better business, I may not have taken the job that I that I have now. And so in some ways, I'm, I'm happy I went to chess because it was a good learning experience. It was definitely a what not to do if you work at a startup or like what red flags to look out for. So I appreciated that learning experience, but it also led me to, to where I am today and working with this former manager at this larger company, which, you know, I'm really happy at. Um, if I went to this other company, I'm not sure if I would have been as willing to make this switch. So in some ways, I'm glad that I did not go to that other company. No, I think that wraps it up. Priya, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. The thing that really jumps out about Priya's story is that she left only after three months. And I think the big thing here is, uh, you know, the gremlin in the back of our head, which like, don't ever do this. Like no career book would ever tell you to do this. None of your friends would ever tell you to do this. Uh, you know, but I think maybe that's just a myth that corporate America tells us to keep us, you know, staying at the same job that we don't love. The, the brainwashing has certainly worked on me. I definitely would have a fear of leaving a company under a year to have that black mark on my resume. And, you know, the other thing I was really impressed by Priya is she knew, like, this was not the right fit for her because she was just so unhappy. But for the most part, I'm pretty unhappy just for the fact that I'm working. I don't want to work. And so any job is going to leave me a little bit, you know, unexcited. And so it doesn't really matter whether or not the company has a sociopath for a CEO or not. I just don't want to be there. I think, you know, the moment with their leader leadership team and having that person apologize in front of everything, I think that might have been, uh, you know, the straw that would break the camel's back for me. You know, when you think about chess, you know, their CEO was the founder. And just because you have the skills to like get a company going and have things uh, going well and gain that first initial valuations and stuff doesn't mean you have the skills to run it or to create a healthy and safe work environment for people. You know, in my mind, uh, you know, there's some founders who can really do it and like go the all way and be the CEO of the company from soup to nuts to being a big Fortune 500 company. But that's usually not the case. You know, it's very different skill sets. So, you know, you either see the founder kind of exit uh, at a different point in the company or they add executives to help them steer the ship uh, so they can focus on what they do well, but also make sure the other parts of the company are getting the leadership that they need that they don't have the expertise in. And, you know, I think the big issue with the, the leadership at Chess is they surrounded themselves with yes people and weren't really making critical decisions. Right. But, you know, Chess, Chess had gone to that one billion valuation. So obviously it's been very successful. And how do you know, like, and what was what gotten them to that point was, you know, the CEO getting these large deals. And how do you know it's the time to, to bring in someone new? And we've, I think the great example in my mind is, is Apple with Steve Jobs is that they let him go uh, and they lost that, but they lost that visionary leadership and it wasn't, they didn't have their, you know, huge success until they brought him back later. So, and if I think about chess, um, you know, Priya is very upset about, you know, what the direction the company was taking, but maybe this going after big deals is the right thing to do. Maybe that's what's going to lead chess to 3 billion or 5 billion. You know, that's true. And I don't know enough to say one way or the other. I just kind of have my hunches on what I think would be a good leader uh, at, at chess. But 
you know, that's fair. If it's gotten that, that far, why not have a, have the same leadership take them to the next level, hopefully. But I do, you know, I do have a hesitation around only signing big deals. You know, you, you know, what we heard from Priya, and this was really kind of a sticking point for her was, you know, big deals really make sense for a small company. It's what got chess off the ground. But as soon as you're a large company and you're taking these only big, large deals and having your roadmap set for two years for this one large customer, that's taking a lot of risk uh, and sacrificing a lot of opportunity costs on other avenues you could look at uh, to make even more money potentially, and even guarantee that you're going to have revenue at the end of the day from them since it wasn't quite clear with the second big enterprise deal, whether they would have that or not. Um, you know, there's something different between, um, you know, doing the right thing for the company that just seems like, oh, it's easy money versus like, Maybe there's $10 billion out there that they didn't even go looking for because they were just focused on this big deal. At the time. Priya was about having to do the implementation because it's something that I think I actually, from a professional point of view, I get pretty excited about executing a large project like that. Uh, it's, it's pretty challenging and having you know, a big customer with a lot of demands, if you can deliver something that meets their needs and gets them happy, uh, I think there is something professionally satisfying about that. Um, maybe I should reach out to Chess to see if they've backfilled Priya's role yet. But uh, before I go look at their career page, thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for episode 12.